Man, it's, it's, it's really cool to come here every single week um, and, and have an opportunity to sing praises to a holy God. Um, and maybe, maybe you're not normally a part of this. Maybe this is your first time here, in, in which I'd say welcome. My name is, is Lewis. I get to serve as a student pastor here. But uh, for those of us that maybe come more regularly, it, this should be a really sweet time that we have a chance to engage with each other and together singing praises to a holy God. And so I, I love the opportunity to get to do that right alongside with you. And uh, we're excited that you're here. We're kind of continuing on in a series that we're calling Heaven Invade. And what we've been doing over the last few weeks is kind of tackling some of the things that uh, might be a little tricky, maybe some things that we, we really haven't heard talked about um, a ton in this context. And so uh, we, we kind of had a conversation about what, what God and man, the relationship between what that looks like. And, uh, and then week two, Morgan came and we talked about Satan, the adversary, the enemy who's trying to mess up God's plan in our lives. And uh, last week we had a conversation about heaven and um, it was exciting and uh, uh, the, the, the thought of paradise and what that looks like and what the Bible has to say about that is really encouraging. Uh, but, but tonight uh, we're, we're going to have a conversation about something that might be a little more weighty, might be a little more difficult to have a conversation. So, so before we dive into it, um, I think again, similar to last week, I really want to get to know you. Um, and so we're, we're going to do, if you were here last week, we kind of did a blind ranking of some of the greatest places on earth um, where you kind of had to rank them one to five as to what you would say this would kind of be equivalent to paradise. So we're going to do the same thing, but, but maybe in the opposite direction, okay? So this would be maybe some of the worst places that you could ever think of. Uh, you're going to rank them one to five. You're not going to know what all of them are until we get to the fifth one. Um, but you're going to rank this first one that I'm going to show you. You're going to rank it. If it is the worst thing you could possibly think of, then you'll rank that as the number one worst thing that you could think of. Um, if it's not that bad, but it's still on the list and you would rank it down to five, whatever you rank it as, you'll leave it there and lock that in. Okay? It'll make a little more sense as we go. So, uh, let's go with the first place. Let's say you had to spend a week, an entire week, in one classroom in your school, and that was the spot for you. Where would you rank that on worst experiences of your life between one, two, three, four, and five? Some of you love school, in which case this might not be a problem. You would spend the whole week here. Your food would be cafeteria food that would be brought to you. And your dinner would be whatever is left over from lunch that day. So it's the entire week that you would spend in there. Hold up your ranking of what that would be in terms of the worst thing. I got a five over here, not that bad. I got a one, okay, right next to the five. All right, all right. Okay, so not that bad. I got some high numbers. All right, lock that ranking in. You're not allowed to change that ranking. Let's go to the second one. Uh, prison, all right. Let's say a week in prison. For some of you, you're like, hey, to be honest, it wasn't that bad when I was in there. That's fine. Everybody's got a pass. That's all right. Hold up your ranking. Where prison for a week? Is it a four? A five? You people. Man. All right. Fair enough. Lock in that ranking. You can't change it. All right. Picture number three. How about an emergency room hospital waiting room? 
for a full week, a full week. You cannot leave that waiting room. Hold up those rankings. Number one, I have a one. I have a two, or is that a three? All right. I got a couple twos over here, a five. That's impressive. All right, here we go, next one. How about just a dump? A full week. A full week. All right. It's got some low numbers in that one. You have to sleep on trash? All right. Before I go to the next one, hold up the one ranking you have left. What ranking do you have left? All right. The last one is a full week without your phone or any electronic advice. Any electronic advice. No big deal, huh? That's so weird because a lot of you are on your phones in here during this time. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. That is so interesting. All right. So you could probably conjure up far worse scenarios in your life that you would say, I never want to find myself in that position ever. You could probably, you could probably think of worse things than what I've brought to you today. I'll give you that. That's fine. But what I can tell you is what we're talking about tonight, the weightiness and the seriousness, is, is far worse than anything that we could ever imagine. Tonight we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about the place called hell. Last week we talked about heaven. And so understanding what God's word has to say about hell I think would also be really, really important for us. So um, the first thing that we're going to do is kind of go to God's word and kind of understand what does the Bible even have to say about hell, okay? So, so what is hell? Sometimes we have a misconception maybe that, there's, that it's really not that big of a deal. Um, it's where parties happen or music videos happen or whatever it is, whatever your views of hell. Some people believe that hell is not real at all, and that's, that, that's fine for those people. I think that God's word is pretty clear that it exists, and we'll work through some of those things. But there are some very clear, explicit, and aggressive pictures and descriptors of hell in God's word that I think would help us understand the weightiness behind what hell is like. So, for example, if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, I've got it up on the screen for you. Uh, here's what the Bible says. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. A couple weeks ago, Morgan did a great job under, unpacking Satan and kind of the story of his fall from heaven. He was an angel, and what he wanted to do was be like God or even better than God. And so God cast him out because God, in, in, the, in the devil's mind, was not enough for Satan. So God cast him out, and along with a bunch of angels that also thought of themselves as being better than God. And so what God did is he prepared a place called hell with eternal fire set apart for those that would reject God. And the first people that did that were the devil and his angels. Now we know through the story of God's word, the, the biblical narrative, that, that later on we see that the serpent, being Satan, then deceives who? Adam and Eve, right? And then at that moment, sin entered into the world. 
So what happened was, what was meant for the devil and his angels has now become the default position for those that then engage in sin, which is namely us. So, so hell was not designed for this originally. It was created because of Satan and his angels thinking that they didn't need God. So God prepared a place for them. And then now because we live in sin, because sin entered the world, it is our default position as well. So let's continue to understand what descriptors the Bible has. In Job chapter 10, the Bible says this, To the land of darkness... And deep shadow, the land of gloom, like thick darkness, again, that word comes up, like the deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick as darkness. Now listen, I don't know if you need a nightlight to sleep at night. I don't know if that's you. My kids need that. <laughs> One person needs a nightlight. Congratulations, right? There, there, is, there is nothing but darkness. And then the Bible says, listen, it says, without any order, chaos, darkness, not a place that you would say, man, I would really love to spend some time there. There's another descriptor in there, Matthew chapter 8. It says this, I'll tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So here's a contrast. Here's what the Bible's doing. Saying there, there's a lot of people that are going to be in heaven, but then there's a turn it says this, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, there's a reference again to that, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be crying, pain, torment that will lead to weeping. And you know what gnashing of teeth is? Have you ever stubbed your toe on the couch? And your like, immediate reaction is just like, like, because of the pain and the discomfort, like, that, that's kind of that gnashing of teeth feel. However, what we're talking about here is far more significant than a stubbed toe on a couch. There is continual, constant pain, torment as described in hell. Mark 9 verse 43 says this, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. To the, what's that word, unquenchable fire, no relief. Here's what the Bible says. He literally says, it is better for you to just go ahead and cut your hand off right now and live without a hand than it is to even think about going to a place like hell. Now, that, that's a pretty aggressive statement. But then he goes on even further to say that, that it is just like an unquenchable fire, zero relief, zero satisfaction, all pain, all torment, all the time. The last one is this, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, we know that that doesn't mean that God doesn't know what's going on in hell. God is omnipresent. He is omnipotent, which means that he is everywhere at once. That means he is all-powerful and all-knowing. But what it does mean is that the glory of God that gives us the opportunity to be fulfilled and satisfied in him will not exist in hell. Zero satisfaction, zero relief, zero glory, nothing but torment in an unquenchable fire, full of darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, 
we can go on and on. What's interesting is that Jesus actually spends more time talking about hell in his teachings than he does talking about heaven. There's probably a reason for that. I think the reason is to warn us. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll allow the world, we'll allow culture to to really desensitize what hell is. Then it's really not that scary, it's not that big of a deal. And if we're not careful, we can start to lose the seriousness to which Jesus brings to this topic and instead kind of go our own way. So I want us to understand three different truths that I think would be really helpful for us to take away from our time together. Um, and the first, the first is this. If you turn your Bible to Luke chapter 16. Take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 16. I'll have it on the screen. It's helpful to bring your Bible when we do church on Wednesday because we do want you to see it for yourself. I think it's really helpful for you to see it for yourself. Um, but turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 16. I have, uh, I have three sons. Um, they're amazing. They're five, four, and three. But they, they do the wrong thing so many times. All they want to do are the things that we tell them not to do. And so I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where, have you ever been in a situation where you're like laughing, but you can't hold it in, but like, you have to hold it in. You have to get it together. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I've had so many times like that in my own life. Well, literally, last night, my, my son, I've got, so Trey is, is, is five, Isaac is four, and then Beans, old Beans. His name is Benjamin, but we call him Beans. Beans is three. Beans is the pot stirrer. Anybody the pot stirrer in the room? Okay, yeah, normally the loud people. Um, he's the pot stirrer. So like anytime he's in the room, everything ramps up to like a 12, right? So that's old Bean. Well, last night uh, they were revolting against my wife, my sweet wife. They were just uh, like they ganged up on her. Does anybody have siblings? Do you guys gang up on your parents all the time? Like that's the worst. It is the worst. I did it too, but now I'm getting the repercussions, right? So here's what happened last night. Isaac and Bean's. They, they always sit across from each other, and they're doing this thing where they kind of like, ooh, 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 that's what they do. It's really dumb. But that's what they, they go, ooh, 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 and they do it like back and forth to each other until they start laughing. But they're like, they move a lot with their bodies, so then they're like smacking their plate up and down. So we tell them, listen, you've got to stop. You have to do what we've asked you to do. Eat your dinner. Well, as we're trying to get on to them, they're trying so hard not to laugh. And so they keep looking at the other one. So I'm like, I'm like in their face and I'm like, beans, <laughs> which is a weird way to start. I get it. I'm like, beans, if you don't. And he's like literally like, <laughs> like looking over at Isaac and Isaac's trying to make it. And so like I'm having a hard time getting my act together because it's hilarious. So I send Isaac to his room and, man, I, I just get so frustrated. So I was in there and I talked to Isaac and I'm like, Isaac, you cannot. And he's literally like. And like dying, and I'm trying to keep it together. So I make him sit down. I get out of the room. I close the door. And I'm like, are you ready to talk? And he's like, yeah. So I get in there, and he just busts out laughing. And then I busted out laughing. And then we're both laughing. It was a terrible parenting moment because I was supposed to like 
spank him or like get on to him. But we're sitting there like dying laughing. And my wife is upset because she's like, aren't you supposed to be spanking him? And it's just this whole thing because all they want to do is the opposite of what we tell them to do, right? And this is us. This is all the time. We want to do the opposite thing in a lot of ways than what God has called us to do. And so when we read in Scripture that there is this place that is set apart for those who reject God, man, if we're not careful, our desire to do whatever it is that we want to do can lead us to a path of destruction. And if we know that hell is a real place, then we probably need to consider a lot of our actions Here's one way that we know that hell is a real place. In Luke chapter 16, there's this story that Jesus shares. It's not a parable um, because he he names someone and he also, a lot of times when Jesus would share a parable, he would kind of label it as a parable. He doesn't do that in this story. But here's what the Bible says. This is Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Walk uh, Walk through this with me. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate there laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Okay, so we got two people in this story. We have a rich man who's got pretty much everything he wants. He says, the Bible says he lives sumptuously, which means in complete excess. And then on this side, we've got this man named Lazarus, who's kind of like this not-so-awesome person, very poor. Um, and in fact, the Bible says that he would, he would actually desire what would fall from the table. Here's what rich people would do back then. When their hands got dirty or their mouth got dirty, they would wipe their hands, not with a napkin, but with bread. And the crumbs that would fall from the table with that bread, those are the scraps and the crumbs that poor people would eat because that's all they could get. That's the difference. That's the contrast we're working with. Moreover, to, to make it worse, moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Lazarus was not a, a very attractive human being. Verse 22, the poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. This is a reference to heaven. The rich man also died, was buried, and in Hades, which is a reference to hell, being in torment He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So, if you didn't catch this, both of them died. The poor man is now in heaven. The rich man is now in hell. And there's this glimpse that the rich man has of the poor man now. Real quick, this is really important. The rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. He didn't go to hell because he he had a lot of things. He went to hell because he valued those things more than God and rejected God in the gift of salvation. That's really important. It's not just rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. That's not the moral of this story. So the reason he went to hell was because there was a rejection of God in his life. So here's what the Bible says. He called out, verse 24, he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. This man who had so much is in so much anguish that all he's asking for is just a hint of relief. Dip dip your finger in some water and just put it on my tongue. That's enough relief for me right now because of how much anguish I'm in. 
Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember, in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you're in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Here's what he's saying. There's actually no chance that you can cross over from hell into heaven. You had your time and your lifetime to make that decision and you did not. Instead, you lived in excess. You had your time, but you missed out, and now there is no connection from hell into heaven. So here's what the man says. Verse 27, he said, Then I beg you, Father, talking to Abraham, send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he can warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. He says, listen, I've got five brothers at the house. If you can just take Lazarus, send him over to the house to warn them because what I am doing right now, living in this torment, I don't want for them as well. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, meaning they have the law and they have the prophets, meaning they have God's word. They have access to it at this point. So they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they're going to repent. Abraham's look like they've, they've got all that they need to know what's up. They've got everything. But he's like, no, 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 listen. If you raise Lazarus from the dead, for sure they're going to believe. For sure. Check out this statement that Abraham makes. If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That's crazy. Here's what Abraham's saying. If you're, if you're not even understanding that there is a way out, a free gift that God has given to each and every one of us, if you can't recognize that on this side of heaven and hell, then, then nothing's going to convince you. Abraham is basically saying they have their chance to look at Moses to look at the prophets, to understand God's word and see this plan of redemption that God has made available to those that are living in rebellion, which is every one of us. So we see this story of the anguish that this rich man felt, that the comfort that the poor man felt, and that there is no crossover in that. Hell is very, very real. Here's the next truth is that we actually, we choose to go there by rejecting the gift of salvation. This is how you get there. How do we get to hell? By rejecting the gift of salvation. Turn in your Bibles, turn just a little bit further into Romans. So you're in Luke right now. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So it's only about four books. So flip in there. You can swipe if you're using your phone. Turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. Every one of us, our natural default position, hear me, is to be destined for hell because of our sinful nature. So if that's the case, and God has made a way out, we actually choose to go to hell by rejecting that way out. Here's what the Bible says in Romans Chapter 1, starting in 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. 
who by their unrighteousness, check this out, by their unrighteousness they do what? They suppress the truth. In our unrighteousness, what we do in our rejection of God is by our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. We don't want to believe it's true. We turn a blind eye to truth. So here's what the Bible says, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and in things that have been made so they are without excuse. Every one of us are without excuse because we understand that there is a God as we look around at creation. Ever been to the beach? Seen a sunset? You ever do that where you like take a selfie into something? Like whatever it is, and you're just like, wow, that's so cool. Like creation is everywhere and all of creation points to a creator. And so what the Bible is saying here is that every one of us is without excuse because God has made himself known through creation. So we keep on going, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they, kept, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We, all the time, in our unrighteousness, we exchange the glory of God for anything else that we prefer over God. This is the root of all of our sin, isn't it? Desiring anything else more than what we desire from God, more than desiring God. This is what this perverse generation that Paul is reaching out to is talking about right here. Verse 24, therefore, here's what God did. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We choose by rejecting the gift of salvation that God has freely given to us, that we understand in the story of Scripture, we messed up. God gave us a way out. We choose to go to hell by rejecting that way out. Here's the third and final truth. We must share the gospel to those that are lost. If this is that significant, if there is a weightiness to this that is that should feel heavy for each and every one of us. And if you're a believer in this room, there should be a desire, an urgency, a conviction to say, you know what, I need to get the information out there. Because there are people right now that are dying and that are going to hell. There are people in your friend groups, in your homes, that need exposure to the gospel. And what if... What if God has strategically placed you in their lives to be somebody who would take the gospel to each and every one of them? What if that's the case? We'll close with this passage, Romans chapter 10. Here's what the Bible says. This is the good news. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now listen, 
We choose to go to hell by rejecting this gift, but the Bible is clear that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But there's a caveat. Check out verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, there are people around you that will never hear the gospel from you, and that is a sad reality. If you are a believer in the room, and you know who you are, and have no desire, no urgency, no conviction to say, hey, you know what, the truth of the gospel is that even though I'm a sinner, in my worst possible ways, I have been I've sinned against God. I'm an enemy of Christ. Christ still died for me. And then what we do is we say, hey, that truth is so impactful in my own life. Salvation is such a great thing. I'm glad that I have it, but I'm going to keep it to myself. When we understand the significance and the seriousness of the eternal torment that exists for those that reject God, if that doesn't push us to urgency to share the gospel, Number one, I don't know what will. Number two, I would, I would just double check and make sure that that gift of salvation is something that you have engaged with yourself. Because I'll tell you what, I don't want anyone in this room to experience what we've just learned from God's word to be the place of hell. And if that's you and you're really struggling through that and you're like, man, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I, I don't know if, if I'm headed there or not headed there. Listen, I will be standing right by those double doors back there. Morgan will be in the back. If you need to talk to somebody, if you're just like, man, I'm kind of wrestling with my salvation. I don't know if God is, is real. Like I've got really significant questions. Please come talk to one of us. Talk to your leader. If you just need to be prayed for, because man, there's a lot going on in your life and, and these things are kind of hard, really heavy and hard to hear, please come back there. There's leaders in the back that'll pray for you. I promise you. During this next time, I just want you to really just take a moment and think, God, is this something that I take seriously? And if it is, my prayer is that you would respond accordingly. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we, we hear you. We understand the seriousness. We see the, the torment. We see the darkness, we see that there are so many things that we should be fearful of when it comes to hell. But we should be fearful of those things only if we have rejected the free gift of salvation. And Father, there are people in this room that would consider themselves believers, and I pray that you would light a fire underneath each and every one of us to have a sense of urgency to share the gospel with those that are around us. I pray that there are those, if there are those that right now do not have that free gift of salvation, God, that they would not leave tonight without having a conversation with a leader. Father, ultimately, we are so thankful that even though we sin against you, even though we are enemies of you, you are so gracious enough to give us Jesus, that he sacrificed himself on the cross so that I can have a relationship with you. God, I'm so thankful for that. We pray, Father, that you would just help us to understand the weight of that. And may it be, may it lead us to a place where we're glorifying you in our lives. We love you. We ask this in your name.